Amen. Boy, it's so good to be together today. Our scripture reading is going to come out of the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. I invite you to turn over there with me to chapter 6. I'm just going to read a few verses here this morning. The first four verses, in fact, of Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, we read, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents say, Amen. That's right. <laughs> we didn't even have to practice that. We just knew. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, it so happens in our Kingdom Kids schedule that today we uh, do not have are in our yeah in our Kingdom Kids schedule over the summer. We meet every other week, and so on Father's Day we do not have Kingdom Kids. I think that worked out really nicely. I don't know if Marcia scheduled it that way or not. Probably not. Probably has more to do with the Lord's Supper schedule coming up uh, in June and July. Uh, but we are just glad that we can spend this time together as whole families. It is a blessing to be together. Um, I came across this quote while reading from the book called The Intentional Father, written by Pastor John Tyson. He quotes John Green, and it goes like this. The nature of impending fatherhood is that you are doing something you're unqualified to do. And all the dads say, yes, I feel that. And then, he says, you become qualified while doing it. For me, my kids are young, so the jury's still out. We'll see. Still got some stuff to work on. But I want to just pause for a moment and pray with you before we take a look at God's word together. God, you have given us the language of family. You have designed us to fit together as husband and wife, having children, becoming father and mother. Stamped with your image, we know that that procreation and that role of parent comes from you. And so we call you our father. And as we just sang, you are a good father. In every sense of the word, in your character and in your works, you are good. We have so much as earthly dads to learn from you and so much as your children to embrace of you. So, Father, we thank you for who you are, what you have done. We thank you for your word that as it speaks to us, it encourages and challenges us. And we thank you most of all, Father, that you would send your son into this world for us to die for us, that we might be called your sons and daughters through no merit of our own, but by the sheer grace that we see in Jesus. For that and so much more, we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, to be honest with you, if you've been a part of our church family for a while, you know I don't typically pause in the middle of a preaching calendar to address specific topics around what I call the Hallmark calendar, 
like Mother's Day and Father's Day. Usually I just keep on preaching and I will reference, you know, those those uh, specific days as they come up. But uh, to be honest with you, I've just have felt a pretty heavy burden about this topic, not just fatherhood in general, but for the men of our church uh, as a whole. And I don't know what the Lord is doing with that. I just feel this burden that, that weighs on my heart. And I've actually heard this from a few others in our church that feel a similar burden. So we're asking the Lord, what, what does that mean? What do we do with that? And as I was looking through what we're doing together in an annual Bible reading plan, I see uh, that there's kind of this break in the story with King David. And I just, as I prayed, it just became clear that this break God has provided in the story and this burden God has provided. And so this is a chance to talk about something that I think the Lord has led us to. And so for that, I am, I'm grateful. I'm also challenged because as I've thought about this all week, um, I want to share a little bit about my story, uh, not only in fatherhood, but in being a son to a father. Uh, and that always gets me emotional. It always uh, is a bit of a challenge for me. Um, there's one surefire way to get me emotional, which takes a lot because I don't get emotional about much, but it's just thinking about the role of a father in the life of their son and their daughter. Something about that, that if there's a movie about that, if there's a commercial about that, I mean, I would just get a little misty eyed and I, and it's hard. And so all week as I've been thinking about not only this passage, but this topic, it's been a little difficult to kind of keep it together a little bit. And, and then I've been reading some other things and just encouraging my own role as a father. And it has moved me. And, and so I, I hope to, to share without uh, being overly emotional because I, I want you to hear the message and not just, you know, um, something personal from me. But I pray and ask that the Spirit of God is able to bring those two together and that He will speak to us. But like many of you fathers who are here today... Uh, You know that what John Green says is true. You come into fatherhood feeling ill-prepared for the role. And it's a learning-as-you-go process. I think it was uh, even more difficult for me because I grew up in a home where my father was fairly absent. He was not around much at all. Uh, In fact, as a a kiddo, I I remember my dad taking a job as a long-haul trucker, and he would be gone for weeks and months at a time, and And uh, I understood why even then that my dad was trying to provide for my family. It's in fact one of the things that I am grateful to him most is he modeled for me a father who was a provider and a hard worker. And for all the things that I can look back and say I missed out on, I did not miss out on meals. No surprise there. You can kind of tell. But I didn't miss out on the things that I needed in life. And that had everything to do with the fact that my dad uh, was not shy about working and working hard and providing for his family. But I remember thinking very vividly, I I don't even really remember how old I was, but he left his job in town to take a trucking job to be on the road. And I thought, I'd rather have less than have you home. But that was not the case for most of my childhood. It was a very few memories uh, with my dad. And so I didn't have a dad in the house to model for me. Here's how you love your wife. Here's how you love your kids. Here's how you point your family to Jesus, which is the most important job any man could ever have, whether it's your wife or your children or your family, your extended family or your friends or those that you work with. There is no more important job for a husband, for a man or for a woman than to point people to Jesus. 
And I missed out on that. I did not have that in my life. And I think that uh, made things a little bit more difficult for me. Uh, fast forward a little bit into early adulthood. And I, and I began to understand the serious impact of not having a father in my life had. Uh, I voluntarily started going to counseling to work on some issues I was dealing with, having no idea that a lot of this was from what I came to learn is called a father wound. When you do not have an emotionally available and present father in your life, Christian or not, but they're emotionally available and physically present in your life, if you are missing on that, you will have a father wound. I knew nothing of that. I really did not. I wasn't even aware that something that I had missed out on something. And then when we started to unpack that with my counselors, it just all started to become very clear to me. I thought, and I'm so thankful that God used some other circumstances in my life to bring me to that point so that I can begin to allow God to bandage that wound so I did not pass that wound on to my kids. I'm also very thankful I married a wonderful woman who has been a great help. Uh, shaping me to be a better husband and father. Uh, without her, I, I certainly would not be near where I am today. And uh, yet, even with her help and God's help, still a long ways to go. But I'm still very, very thankful for that. And I'll, I'm, I know I'm not alone in this challenge. Some of you here today missed out on that as well. Maybe some of you here today feel the sting of regret because that explains your parenting, your your journey into fatherhood has been you missing out on some of your kid's life, maybe a lot of it. Uh, don't worry, there is, there is grace. There is hope coming. Uh, this is not a beat-up dad's sermon, I promise you that. But it is to point out that a father wounds a real thing, and it creates real pain. There's 18.4 million children who grow up without a biological father in the home, nor do they have a stepfather or an adopted father. 18.4 million kiddos. That's one in four children do not have a father, at the very least, physically present in their home. I'll mention again the intentional father written by John Tyson. Dads, uh, it's written to dads raising sons, though, as the author would say, it applies to raising daughters as well. You can easily translate the language in the book. Um, I couldn't recommend it enough to you to get this book and read this book. It has been very helpful to me. He writes in there that at the heart of our culture's inability to raise boys into men is an epidemic of fatherlessness. Here are just a few stats relating to how the absence of fathers is impacting our society. And he gets this from a website called fatherhood.org. Children without fathers are four times more likely to live in poverty. They are more likely to suffer from emotional and behavioral problems. They have higher levels of aggressive behavior than children born, born into married homes. They have two times the risk of infant mortality. They're more likely to go to prison. And in fact, only one in five prison inmates grew up with their present with a present father in their home. Only one in five in prison had a father in their home. And they're twice as likely to be, to be involved in early sexual activity. It's just painting a picture that the father wound is a real thing. 
without dad emotionally available and physically present in the home, it does have a damaging effect. See, God knew what he was doing when he put a husband and wife together to have a child who would need a mother and a father. Now, again, I did not have that as much as some of you. Uh, And I had a dad around probably more than a few of you. But the wound is real. Here's one of the things when I look back on my childhood life, especially when I got into the teenage years, that I'm so grateful for is that God provided for me a church family, friends in that church whose dads were married to their mother, lived in the home, present in the home, emotionally available to them. And they modeled for me what my dad, I would say, could not model for me. As we know, kind of one thing about life is that what one generation suffers with, so will the next, so will the next by nature, unless that generational curse is broken. And so I know my father's father was very much the same way as my father. And now I can only say, thank God that my children don't experience the same. In fact, I remember one time telling them, you know, like, y'all don't understand how blessed you are. We're going on a bike ride. I had zero bike rides with my dad. You know, like, you have no idea how blessed you are. We're playing catch in the yard. I I have zero memories of playing catch in the yard with my dad. Uh, Like, where, how did God help me break that curse? He gets credit for it. And one of the things he did is he put me in a church, First Baptist Church of Wortham, Texas, where I had friends whose dads took their families to church, who were married to their mother, who loved their family, who was present in the home and emotionally available to them. And I sat at their table and I ate dinner with them. And they never pulled me aside and said, you know, you know, son, let me tell you a few things about life. They never did that. They just showed me. This is what it's like to be a man who takes care of their family, loves their wife, looks after their kids and makes sure that they're provided for and they're taught right from wrong, etc., etc. More stuff we'll get into in a moment. So that gives me great hope. Whether you're a single mom here today or you're you're a a man without children or without children in the home, God is at work. If you're willing to open yourself up to some different possibilities, God will use you. I guarantee you it was more expensive to have me as your son's friend when we were teenagers. But those parents didn't mind. Those dads didn't mind shelling out a little bit more for dinner. Or breakfast after I stay the night. You know, like if you want to be a father figure to others, if you're willing to do that, you can help with this fatherlessness. If your kids are grown or you don't have kids, God can use you in that way. If you don't know where to start, just come visit with me. Right now I work with our student ministry a lot. Rosemary can tell you there's always a need for men in our children's ministry. We'll put you to work. Here's one of my convictions as we look out in society and say, how did we get here? I guarantee you, fatherlessness is a big part of that. So we can whine and complain about how things are, or we can be a part of transformation in the lives of young men specifically, but young women as well. And I can just tell you, my church family did that for me. 
They showed me that. Those, those men didn't, didn't have the whole Bible memorized. They were not spiritually giant, spiritual giants. They were not perfect. But they loved God. They loved their wife. They loved their kids. And they let me in on that. God can use you in a very similar way if you are willing. Now I want to shift gears a little bit and just talk about those who do have kids in the home and those who may be willing to be a father-like figure to others who may be needing that. I want to talk a little bit about that from Ephesians chapter 6, specifically focusing on verse 4. I want to read to you from a slightly different translation called the New English Bible. It says it like this. You fathers, again, must not goad your children to resentment, but give them the instruction and the correction which belong to a Christian upbringing. The NIV says it like this. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training or instruction and instruction or correction of the Lord. So there's three things here we hear from the Apostle Paul as he writes to this church in Ephesus that I think is basic but transformative to either our role as biological fathers uh, or stepfathers or adoptive fathers or father figures to those who may need it. There's three things that are taking place here that I think are very helpful. Uh, They are, and I'm going to take them in a little bit different order than Paul laid out here, but they are to instruct, to correct, and to do so without provocation. To instruct. Fathers are given a role to be instructors in their kid's life. And in fact, in Jesus' culture in his day, that role the father would take on at seven years of age. They would become the primary instructor in a child's life. Fathers just, again, I'm not trying to beat us up here, but in some ways we've turned that role over to mothers. And they're phenomenal at it. So it's not like, you know, we're making a terrible decision. I'm just saying, take on some of that responsibility to be an instructor along with her. In fact, lead your family in it. Don't just expect her to carry the reins when it comes to instruction. You take up those reins and invite her to come along with you. I promise you, pretty much every wife in here who is a mother to young children will praise God that their husband has taken that kind of active role in their child's life. But I want to talk specifically about what the Bible is saying when it says instruction. Because here's the thing. Dads, we can be very good at instructing our kids how to clean their room, uh, how to throw a ball, uh, how to shave, how to mow the yard, all, how to change a tire. Those are all very good things. All of them necessary things that we need to teach our kids. That's a good thing. That's not the instruction the Bible is talking about here. How does Paul end this? And I want to circle back to this at the end of, of the message. But he says the training and instruction of the Lord. There's specific content to our instruction, and that content is God. It's not just instructing our kids on how to kind of get through life 
and the basics, the necessities. It's instructing our children in the ways of God and the things of God. It's to tell them about God, this great creator who has made you and me in his image. It's to tell them that something happened in the world. It's called sin and it broke and fractured the world. And we suffer the consequences of that decision of Adam and Eve to introduce sin into the world. And we are sinners as well. It's to instruct them on God's solution to that problem. To tell them that God saw what would be and had a plan for rescue. And that rescue plan is his son Jesus who came into this world to die for us. That by believing in him, we might not only be forgiven, but made right in God's eyes. Made his children, perfect children who have an eternal home with him. That's the instruction. And then it's to instruct them, not only do we have heaven as home, but Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's to say to our kids, heaven is our home, so we need to start living like that now. And here's what this looks like. Here's what it looks like to be men of God in this world. To be women of God in this world. Fathers, you have an instrumental role in instructing your children about the things of God. Not just the things of the world. The things of God. Which means you need to know God. There is no more fundamental question your children need to answer than, Who is God? Who am I? What's wrong with this world? What has God done to fix it? They need you to instruct them on those things. They come to church and hear it. They hear it from their moms. They need to hear it from you. The instruction has content. And the content is God. And as you heard Tommy read earlier out of Deuteronomy. This is not a new task given to God's people. To teach one generation after the next the things of God. The second thing, correction. There's two things Paul calls fathers to do. One is to instruct and the other is to correct. Now, uh, all parents can say amen to this. We know teaching is not enough. Showing our children how to do something once is not enough, right? Amen? How many times you got to do it? A lot. Right? You show them how to do it, you instruct, you, you, you explain, you teach, and then you turn around and they are doing it wrong again. So what do you got to do? You have to correct. You have to say, no, 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 not like this, like this. No, we don't treat our brothers and sisters this way, we treat them this way. No, we don't talk to mom that way, we talk to mom this way. And that conversation is going to change throughout their life. What they need as a child who is... You know, uh, in that elementary age is different than what they need as a child who is a teenager. In fact, now that we have a son that's a teenager, we're having different kinds of conversations. But they follow along the lines of here's the instruction of the Lord and here's the correction when we get it wrong. And they will get it wrong because they're humans just like you and me, just like you and me get stuff wrong. They get stuff wrong. And they need that correction. There's some pretty, uh, <laughs> there's pretty tough Challenging verses in the Bible that have to do with correction. 
and the warning thereof if we fail to do so. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. And then it goes, Do not be a willing party to their death. Like, oh, that took a turn. Goodness gracious. I like the first part. What's that second part about? There's a reality that instruction's not enough. We have to keep disciplining and correcting them. Because if they go awry, it is to their detriment. It's echoed again in Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, the language of hate and love is not quite what we think of. We think of it as emotion. I feel loving and I feel hatred. But in Hebrew thought, that's not what the psalmist, or that's not what the, uh, the writer of Proverbs 13, 24 is talking about. He's talking about the language of choice. Anytime you hear the language of love and hate put together in Scripture, it's the language of choice. And it's saying this. If you choose not to discipline your son, then you are not choosing life for him. It's quite a warning. It's not enough just to instruct. It's to come back and correct. Now, what does that do for us? Whether you're a mother or a father, it does not matter. Either one, if you have a role as a parent, a guardian in a child's life, and you have instructed, and then you have corrected, and it still doesn't fix it, because the Bible never promises you only got to do these things once, what do you feel? Frustration. Frustration can get the better of us as parents. For those of you that are like me, you're in the same camp as me, you got little ones. This is a daily reality. Instructing, correcting, and then realizing I've got to do this all over again. And getting really frustrated about that. And getting angry and upset. It's a natural human reaction to this situation that we find ourselves in. Paul knows this. He knows this so well, he actually put it first. Before the instruction. Before the correction. Maybe I should have done that too, but we're taking a little bit of a different tact. But we're going to get to it. Here it is. What does he say? Depending on your translation, it may be read as, Do not provoke your children to anger. The NLT, ESV, KJV use that language. In the NIV, it says, Do not exasperate your children. The New English, a New English Bible that I read from earlier says, do not goad them into anger. New Century says, don't make them angry. And the Message Bible says, do not frustrate them. It can be very easy to come, hard, come down hard on our kids. To expect more of them than they can possibly do. In the pillar commentary, it puts it like this. What does it mean to provoke, to exasperate, to goad, to make angry, to frustrate? Pillar commentary says it like this. It's, it's to excessively, to, to dole out excessively severe discipline. To have unreasonably harsh demands. To use one's authority abusively or arbitrarily, unfairly. To constantly nag and condemn. To humiliate. Those are ways in which we can provoke our children unto anger. What is the antidote to that? It is 
patient instruction and correction and repeat instruction and correction. It's to anticipate that my child will act like a child that does not allow me to act like a child. I have to act like a parent, an adult. This is my own pep talk I have to give myself, right? You know, we have to understand where they are at in life. We cannot expect more of them than they can possibly give. We have to have a high standard, a high expectation, a high teaching, a high training. But we understand they will not measure up to that every time. They, like us, are humans who are fallible. One of the things I think of is... If we do this wrong, if we do right by instructing and correcting, but in our instruction and in our correction, we are harsh. We do allow anger to rule the day. Guess what our children are going to catch? Our emotion. Guess what they're not going to hear? Our instruction and correction. Have you ever been in that moment when someone's intensely angry with you? It's like, yeah, I'm married. Been there. What do you experience in those moments of intense Emotion. The content doesn't get through. The information gets stuck right here. And all I'm doing is getting caught up in the emotion of it. So dads, if you want this whole instruction and correction thing to have a better chance of impacting your kiddo's life, don't let the emotion rule because all they're going to hear or feel is the emotion. They're going to miss out on the content you're trying to deliver. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself here. My kids can tell you. I fail at this. And if I fail at this and I sin against them, you know what I have to do? I have to go and say, I blew it. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have got that upset. And I have to apologize. Because I'm going to mess this up. Even if my dad, earthly dad, was darn near perfect, I would still mess this up. Because I am a human being. Unfortunately bent towards sin. And it's only by the grace of God that there has been progress in my life and you would have to say the same thing. So the same patience God has shown me, the same love and forgiveness God has shown me. God has called me to model that for my kids. Marsha and I watched a video about parenting. And one of the things the guy said, it's a bit of a tongue twister, see if I can get it right. He said, sometimes the most important thing you do is not the thing you do. It's the thing you do after the thing you do. Did I get it right, babe? All right. Sometimes it's the willingness to go back after you've blown it and admit it that will teach your children more than anything else. Because you know what they need to know. There is such a thing as sin. And it's in you and it's in me. And if that's all they ever know, they're in trouble. If they know that there is freedom to admit that and to say, I can admit that because I know that fact does not change how God feels about me. If I believe that God loves me unconditionally, not on the basis of my performance, but on the basis of Jesus's performance. If I know that and I feel that deeply within me, I'm more able. To admit it when I get it wrong. And there I am showing my children. Not a perfect father. But a forgiven father. 
Forgiven by who? Forgiven by God. Forgiven how? Forgiven through Christ. Let's pray. There is no greater father than you, God. The hope of your word is that you are a father to the fatherless. And for those who are here this morning, who have father wounds, who have missed out on dad in their life, who wish they had a dad that was in the home, was available to them, that loved their mother and them. For those who are missing out on that, and they are missing out, but they can know you as their father. And I pray that they would because there is no better father than you. There is no more loving and gracious and wise and strong father than you. And we need you, God. Whether we've had a near-perfect dad or an absentee dad, we need you, God. And we thank you that you are so available to us. You are right here with us. Your Holy Spirit is drawing us to you. And through our brother Jesus, we can be adopted into the family of sons and daughters. We can have an eternal relationship with you, and that is our greatest hope. And I pray that everyone would walk out of this place today knowing that for sure. And by knowing that, they would be better husbands, better fathers, better wives, better moms, better kiddos, better friends. The freedom to know that, yes, I am a sinner, but I am loved. That we would all know that, Father. That is what we pray. That is what we ask. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to come to a time of invitation here, a chance... To respond to the Lord. And I just want you dads to know. Uh, mom guilt is a real thing. I, I, I see it. And there's a lot of dad guilt too. There's a lot of dads feeling like they've blown it. And they can never recover. I just want you That's not true. You may have heard all this and you're just beating yourself up. Understand there is grace for you. It is not too late to make a turn and impact your children's lives, whether they're in the home or they're adults. God can make that change in you. And for those who are in the throes of raising those little kids, maybe God is convicting you, you got to step up. He's not just asking you to make sure they got food on the table. He's asking you, he's calling you to be an example of a godly man and to teach your children about the Lord. Maybe this would be a time where you just ask the Lord to show you how. Because I'll be honest, I don't know how either. I'm learning as I go here, folks. That's why I still got to read books about this stuff. Because I don't have it figured out. Maybe you want to walk alongside some other dads and help figure this out together. That we might be more like God, our Father, in our children's lives. Or maybe for you, you say, I don't have kids. They're out of the home. Or I've never had kids. Let me tell you something. You can be a father figure. You can be one of those men in the church that blesses kids' lives like the men at First Baptist Wortham that bless my life. God can use you in that way. Maybe you're not quite old enough. Maybe you're a big brother to them, but you can still show them Jesus with your life. And if you're willing to do that, maybe now is a time to pray to the Lord and commit to Him a willingness 
to be a godly male figure in the lives of those who are younger than you. For those ladies who are here, whatever position you find yourself in, you can pray for the husbands in your life that are raising your kids or or the father to your children who is not showing up or for your children that they may grow up and see something different in the lives of men in the church or in your family or in your community when they don't have that father figure around. And I I would almost guarantee that you're already praying about those things. But let this be a chance that we talk to the Lord about this. Because it is one of the greatest and most sacred privileges God has given us to create a human being and have the responsibility not just to provide for them, but tell them the greatest news in the world. God made them. God knows they're sinners. And He loves them. Jesus died for them. And there is hope for an eternity because of that. There's no greater role God has given us than to do that in our, in our kids' lives. So whatever God's pressed upon you, and I hope it's something, I hope all that I've shared uh, strikes you in some way, let's respond to him in prayer as we go to this time of invitation. Stand with me as we sing together. And if you need prayer, I'll be down front. I'll be happy.